<laughs> the idea of anally projecting shit particles into someone's mouth. Broadcasting live from Beef Station as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Ooh, being that haunted by the ghost of Andrew. The volume was way too loud and it was making my lips <laughs> blow out as if, a, as if a wind was hitting my All face. Right. <laughs> I've, had, I've had a similar problem but for completely different yeah. reasons. Yeah. Um, welcome aboard. Getting for another e- on. <laughs> welcome aboard for another episode of Beef Station. This week... We are going to be giving you our spoiler-free review slash discussion of... Review-scussion. Revushion? Scush-view. Scush-view. Scush-view's not bad. We're going to be giving our scush-view of it. (laughs) Of it. Rescussion? Stephen King's It Part 2, starring Bill Skarsgård, 2019. Later in the episode. Deview. We yes, if you, for those of you wondering, Andrew and I are recording our audio separately. <laughs> we agreed that we'd spend at least two minutes on a joke that won't die at, at the point, beginning of the podcast. I'm going to randomly announce that I'm in a completely <laughs> sealed off hermetic chamber, <laughs> and I'm recording this with no contact with the outside world. So <laughs> yeah, Formula One. I agree. Avocados. I imagine at this point, Andrew, you're doing uh, our pre-agreed upon impression of me. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck, I I went with it. Damn it. <laughs> you blew it. I ruined it. People know we're lying. And uh, we're both in the uh, chamber. We're just joking. We don't really have a podcast. Yeah. This has been a 60 episode long practical joke. Yeah. And, and you specifically, you listener, are the only person in the world for whom this podcast is a real thing. Yeah. All your friends have been humoring you, smiling We're and nodding. fun of you. While you talk about Beef Station <laughs> at parties. They're like, yeah, Beef Station. Oh, yeah, my God. It's still going. They are talking about Beef Station again. <laughs> <laughs> Please keep telling your friends about us. Tell your friends. And join the new Beef Station beef posting Facebook oh, yeah. set up by previous guest and friend of the show, Pat. Friend of the show, Pat, set up a discussion slash meme shit posting group on Fuck Facebook. Yeah. We'll link it in the description of this podcast. This is already a lovely community. So yeah, it's yeah, great. Don't fuck it up for us. Mm-hmm. And also join it. This week, <laughs> uh, we covered, as you said, It Chapter 2. I think, I don't know about you, it's been a little while since we recorded, so I've watched a few other films. Yeah, so we got a, we got a bit of so other business. We might do a bit of news, a bit of business or pleasure, a bit of that as well. Yeah. Uh, how do you want to start off? Do you want to, do you want to top and tails the movie discussion? <laughs> <and stuff? laughs> do you want to suck me off? <laughs> <laughs> I'll suck off the discussion <laughs> while you fuck it in the ass. <laughs> That's not what topping and tailing is. <laughs> I'll kiss Who's this third person in the metaphor? <laughs> I'll kiss its toes while you snuck the snot out of its nose. <laughs> yeah, that's much more accurate. There's still a third being. It's us. It's just us. <laughs> it's a big old 69, mate. Suck my dick and I'll suck your dick. Yeah. Yes, and the that space would be in between in how it would work. is the discussion. That's the podcast. <laughs> this was all supposed to be an off mic conversation, and now <laughs> yeah. it's too good that's to cut. Yeah, that's right. Um, love a good peek behind the curtain. So, I'll pull my pants up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both record with our pants around our ankles. <laughs> um, let's do news. Okay. Or do you want to finish off on the news? No, by that I mean. <laughs> 
finish all over the news. (laughs) (laughs) Just pick something and save the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready? Yes. (laughs) Oh, God, am I ready? Okay, how's this? This is Screen Rant Gold. Great. Jeremy Renner has shut down his app due to rampant trolling. Yeah. I'm going to read straight from this article here because it's great. I actually listened to an interview with the guy that did it. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Avengers star Jeremy Renner has shut down his app because too many trolls (laughs) were creating fake Jeremy Renner profiles to imitate him. Yeah. Launched in 2017, his app was designed to offer a personalized feed for Jeremy Renner fans where they could view pictures and post videos of the actor, comment on his post, and purchase stars to boost their comments in the hopes that Jeremy Renner himself might see and respond to them. It was literally Instagram... But, but Jeremy if Instagram Renner. was only photos of Jeremy <laughs> Renner. <laughs> and like the thing is, when when they say when you say like respond to them, there were examples of people like pouring their heart and soul out in the comments. And the top comments on the post are people who've paid more because that's yeah. what the stars are. So someone would be like Mr. Rennie, you changed my life. Like I'm getting into <laughs> acting because of you. And his response would just be like Cool. <laughs> well, like, it's probably not even him that's, t- that's typed it. So good. Yeah. But what would happen is when you would send a message or reply to someone on this app, it would just show up as a notification banner that just had Jeremy Renner and then a photo of him and it would have the person's comment. So it would be like, Jeremy Renner has replied to your comment. Eat my poo-poo. And yeah, as soon Good as people shit. figured it out, just hordes of people. It started off with this post that, and I'm going to just go off the top of my head here. So some of these yeah. might be inaccurate, but I'll go for Brilliant. the narrative feature. Some of the, well, this post was like Jeremy Renner just being like, well, the team that manages the app being like, hey, what have you got planned on this weekend? Yeah. And some person created an account and responded, I'm going to watch some porno, Mr. Renner. <laughs> 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 um, and when he checked his phone that someone had replied to his comment, it was like, ew, nasty. And it came up as like being from <laughs> Jeremy Renner. And he was like, no fucking way. <laughs> and his heart like, his heart like leapt into his throat and he opened it. And it just is the way that the app displays notifications. It was just some random like middle-aged woman being like, ew, right. gross. Ew, gross. But yeah, so he a bunch of times was just responding to, um, posts being uh, being like have you had time to do the things you love this weekend and he'd be like no i was too busy watching porno on my laptop <laughs> and so there's all these people making fake fake profiles that look like jeremy renner so that jerry it looks like jeremy renner that, right. is, is posting like i'm gonna suck myself off this weekend yeah. or whatever because that's not how this thing got blown wide open yeah. but and yeah jeremy renner posted a farewell message on the app this week complaining uh, lamenting that the app had jumped the shark jumped the shark literally jumped the shark despite <laughs> the fact that it had only figuratively jumped any type of shark. I didn't realize that the jump the shark analogy is because there was literally a scene in some like beloved sitcom where a character went water skiing and jumped over a shark. Oh. And was it like the low point of the film? No, it was like a ridiculous point yeah, where yeah, like yeah. it just got like Sorry, the series. It's like what the fuck is even going They're on? Clearly this character's up. jumping over a shark. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
you, you reckon someone was like watching that and they were just like, "What? What's going on? He's <laughs> he's jumped the shark!" <laughs> and then they're like, "That's a good expression to apply elsewhere in my life." Write that down. That'll be an idiom now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. How about this? I don't really have much in this news other than the fact that this new project is happening. But the iconic 1997 John Woo action thriller Face Off is reportedly going to be rebooted very soon. We don't really know much about who's going to be involved, whether they're going to get Travolta and Nick Cage to come back and do exactly the same movie again. That would be I good. think that would be fucking hilarious. I think that's probably going to be better than whatever they managed to come up with. <laughs> um, but apparently someone from the original movie, the um, no, the 22 Jump, Jump Street screenwriter. Well, those movies are... Really, they're funny. fun. Yeah, yeah. and I think funny. I think they're actually funny. Yeah, it's I think good. I think they're good. And I think there's a whole bunch of old like '80s, '90s, like cheesy ass thriller films that are like a whole ton of fun that I've never bothered to watch. Yeah, and I think Face Off is probably top of that list of <laughs> films I'd be really keen to go in on and actually just enjoy the cheese ball nature. It kind of like Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Um, I think we should go back and do Face Off at some point, boy. I think it'll be good. Uh, Richard Dormer of Game of Thrones fame is going to be leading the cast of a new Discworld series. Um, Discworld, beloved series of books by Terry Pratchett, of course, who recently died a few years ago now. Um, It's been some pretty successful screen adaptations of some of his work. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I've heard that I've heard they're really funny as well. I um I'm a big fan of Douglas Adams' books. And I've heard yeah. that um He's got a really wry sense of humor. Yeah, and I've heard that Terry Pratchett's style is very similar, but there's fifty of the fuckers. So just read Color uh, of Magic and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Read The Color of Magic. That's a great book. And also like one of the ones that's been adapted to screen, I think. Oh yeah. The I'm point of the book is that like magic has this greenish purplish colour which <laughs> in our world can't really? exist. So yeah, it's like whenever you, yeah, and it can only be seen by some people or some shit. Right. He's got, he's just got this wonderful mind that just can come up with these ideas that are so easy to latch onto, but so imaginative. So that's, I think the problem is when they try to translate an idea to screen that's too absurd. And so they're like, oh, what if we make this fucking envelope thing that has to run around after the main character? And it's like, well, that was much better in the book because in my head it was kind of more cartoonish and you've made it look a bit real and weird and fucked. Yeah, exactly. But still some good stuff. Um, another series I forgot was even happening is this Lord of the Rings series, which I've just added Will Poulter to the list of. Will Poulter is great. I like Will Poulter. I don't want a Lord of the Rings series, but I sure. mean, the, the extended versions of the movies are long enough that they're almost like a mini-series anyway. So depending on what kind of format and who's attached to it, it could be good. Like, there's yeah. enough in that world. Then again, like, they got to yeah. do it right because they extended the fuck out of The Hobbit. And that was a crock of shit. So, like, yeah. I feel like that you just got to make sure it feels like its own story that stands alone and is actually going somewhere, rather than just like rather than just like cramming shit in there for no reason. I think the an example of what might work well is if they don't try to tackle something on a grand scale. If they just go with like the micro life of what happens in like, say, it's set in a tavern in Middle Earth, yeah, and like all of these characters wander in every now and then, and like you'll follow the storyline of those characters, but it's not trying to tackle this grand scale of the world. It's just trying to, like, do a bit of, like, a super deep cut on what life is like in Middle-earth. I think that would be a really interesting approach for a series. I think but so, But if they yeah. try to make it, like, it's a Lord of the Rings movie, like Stranger Things. If it's, like, it's a battle, but we've cut it over fucking eight episodes and you <laughs> just get battle fatigue, then... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that'll be... Well, I, I don't think that'll win any hearts. The fact that Game of Thrones is popular shows that it's possible to do a medieval... Yeah. Kind of yeah. 
Yeah. The fact that Game of Thrones was popular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, damn. Yeah. Damn. Um, okay, here's another one. I, I feel like it's at the start, it's going to seem like, great, I don't give a fuck about this headline, but I think it's a good sign for this new Joker I movie. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> Todd Phillips... Uh, who is the director of the new Joker film with Joaquin Phoenix, was asked about whether it's going to be connected to the overall DC cinematic universe Um, because there's that Robert Pattinson Batman movie that's going to be coming out and this seems good to people like, oh, is this Joker going to play a part in that movie or whatever? And Todd Phillips says, nah. Um, he said he wasn't even really thinking about that. He's intentionally not even in that universe. He said he went to Warner Brothers and the idea was just about... um, not, not, not just about this one movie, but he said he sort of had this idea for this sort of. He's, I'm quoting, quoting him directly here. He had an idea for a sort of side label to DC, where you can just do these kind of character study, low rent, low budget movies, where you get a filmmaker to come in and do some deep dive character <laughs> filmmaker uh, character. Let's shit. get a filmmaker to make <laughs> our film. <laughs> the emphasis is mine, but yeah, exactly. So he yeah. said it's never meant to connect. He just thought it'd be cool to do this standalone character study kind of yep. movie, I which think is that he's getting speaking me the right language. Even more excited for this. Joker movie. It sounds like he's like, "Hey Fox, can I start Fox Searchlight?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really excited for this movie. It's gonna be so good. Oh man, um, I've been burnt before, man. Walking Phoenix though is like, he's my, great. One of my favorite still working actors. Mm. He's so good in terms of like yeah. modern modern cinema. He's fucking brilliant. Well, in everything he's in the poster of Robert Redford that you've got up on your wall. <laughs> There's an article in Screen Rant here that's trying to explain this bizarre Ray double lightsaber thing that we saw in a trailer recently. Great. Um, this this dude says that there's a cinematic universe extended book or something where a Sith Lord named Exar Kun is this giant fucking six-armed frog dude. And, <laughs> and he says that like... This this frog thing can't isn't tall enough to be able to have a long handle double ended lightsaber, so he extends the both out one way and flips it around. So there you go. If it turns out that Ray is just a six armed frog, that explains that. But why? Pragmatically, what does having two lightsabers strapped next to each other actually achieve? No, because then she'd above- flip them out and then it would look like Darth Maul's lightsaber. Why doesn't she do that? Because it's just a still. Maybe they don't want to spoil it that bit. Still, well, they, they don't want to spoil that bit. They're going like they just spoiled it by telling no, this the is, fucking news. No, this is some. No, that's me spoiling it. This is like some fucking Star Wars extended universe dude being like, "Oh, there was a book where a dude had something like that." Right. Okay. Because well, then it's a different fighting style, and you're sort of flipping out, and you're sort of spinning it around. It's and shit, nunchucks. Like, a, like it's a lightsaber nunchucks. <laughs> it's, no, it's definitively not. No, lightsaber it's not nunchucks. that. <laughs> Wait, why is it not that? Because it's it's it turns out to be exactly the same as the, the it's Darth Maul as the Darth Maul lightsaber, right. but it's just like a more compact version of it on the. So what we're talking about now belt. is the ergonomics of packing down a lightsaber. That's that the explanation as to why better. it's like that. Yeah, I'm saying the idea sucks. <laughs> oh well, forget it. We won't do it then. <laughs> I'll call him up and ask him to call it off. Yeah. Yeah, if you could just get Mr. Johnson on the phone, that'd be great. <laughs> um, reportedly, Why would you have two next to each other? I'm it doesn't even make dumb. any sense. Right, well, then show that well, in they, the trailer. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think that uh, episode hey, one... it's never stopped them from showing literally every detail in the trailer before. I think that the coolest bit about the whole of the first movie is the Darth Maul thing where he splits it, he gets out his double-ended lightsaber, and they spoil that in the trailer. So, 
That's why. Okay. If that's what they're doing here. And that was know. like, so the thing about that is that was like the first moment we'd ever seen a lightsaber that wasn't just a lightsaber, right? Yeah. That was the, it was like, this ain't your grandpappy's lightsaber. So, yeah. yeah. And then we had General Grievous that was like, no, I don't have just one. I, I got have, fucking 16 got of the fuckers. four. Yeah. yeah. And I have six arms. I, I feel like General Grievous with George Lucas arms. being like, uh, you like you, you like more lightsabers? Here, this guy's got four. Aesthetically, I gotta say, General Grievous though, one of the coolest Star Wars characters. Also, one of the edgiest Star Wars characters. So <laughs> this might be ten-year-old me with unupdated opinions. He'd walk still around talking, reading Mein Kampf. Uh, nah, Atlas shrugged. <laughs> General Grievous reads Atlas shrugged. That's my hot take for this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Fuck you, Ayn Rand. <laughs> the report. <laughs> there we go. Um. Headline here that the Matrix 4 will start filming earlier than we thought. What the fuck? What? It just... I've, I've got whiplash from this. <laughs> they're like, what if we did a Matrix 4? And everyone's like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa. And they're like, we're we going to start. Tomorrow. <laughs> no, apparently they're starting in February 2020, man, which is like fucking fuck, soon. That's very soon, yeah. That's very soon. Um, it's going I into the work. They must have been in talks about it for a fair while. Okay, so you got to try and think of the worst code name for a Matrix movie. And this is worse than that. It's called Project I- <laughs> Project Ice Cream. Okay. All right. It went the <laughs> other way. What did you say? Blindfold. I was like, something edgy to do with like, open your eyes, Neo, or whatever. Oh, right, but yeah, this, this was like, no, the other way. Project Lollipop. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's dumb, and I hope that it has some significance. Although, I guess like, yeah. Rainbow Teddy Bear Picnic 3. I wonder if it will be Neo. I will say... This has piqued my curiosity. I think you're right. I don't think that he's going to come back and do a leading role. Then again, it can't. he's he... John Wick now. Yeah. Like, oh, he's, he's. it's not that he's not big enough to do it. It's just that like... From a story point of view. I don't... Maybe he would come back, but it feels like... I don't know. If they were like, hey, do you want to be Neo again and be the main character? You'd just be like, man, what are you going to do that's different? And also, I died. So no, they, they, it's the Matrix. They can do whatever the fuck they want. They could be like, oh, we worked out a way to get you back. And yeah, yeah, but that feels like bullshit. You know, that, that definitely feels like... The, the, the original trilogy was such a new and cohesive idea that I would hope that they weren't willing to just sort of like say, actually, we like, we're, we're back flipping and everything that we told you about that is no longer... It's <laughs> like they're going to do the Marvel shit where it's like everything that we end our movies with is no longer definitive and there are never any consequences to a character's demise or anything like that because everyone can always be brought back yeah, to the point of making a new Yeah, 20 movie. years later, nah, I feel like I'm you can sort of go it. off like... Um, you got to do the train spotting thing where the characters that are still alive can be there later. But like... It's just one of the, the... I think that's one of the few elegant ways I've seen a sequel executed. Transponding 2 is an example of like a 20 years later that actually works. And yeah, I absolutely. think there's very few of those because I think often they try and do some something really fucked with the characters where it was like, no, you... Like, I, I got my emotional tie up from that you know I like so. Neo sacrificed himself and that was like the whole fucking spoilers for Matrix 3 the <laughs> whole fucking point of the film maybe the whole point of the trilogy nah, people so are the Bible like, they know how it ends yeah but if they yeah sure but if they're <laughs> just like oh actually Neo like didn't sacrifice himself and he's still alive blah, 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 I think people are just gonna be like I didn't watch I didn't need another Neo story I need someone else's story because yeah I'm sure they could hack him into being a main character no matter what like 
you could be like the Matrix has come back and they've like made this copy of Neo to work against That's, them. But that that just That'd feels like cool. bullshit. It's Maybe like I don't a give a fuck guy. about the copy of Neo. No, he could be like a bad guy. They're like, oh, the new Resistance has come up and we've got like, a, like we got like we're cloned Neo and we've replicated all the shit that Neo could do and we're like. I think that's it's a good that, idea. That conjures a bit of like Terminator, where Arnie comes yeah. back, but he's not the same one. So, but then the, the, it's it was always established that there was an endless army of Arnies in the Terminator series, right? So it's not like I invested emotionally in a single Arnie, with the exception of one. <laughs> you're gonna watch those movies, so I'm not gonna spoil which one. But um, it feels like it was established as a precedent that there's more than one of this figure. And so, like, he's not one character. He's, like, kind of a presence or a threat in general. Like, so, I don't know. I don't want Neo to become, like, this, yeah, just this icon that could be recycled whenever they need him yeah, to be. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't really give a fuck about maybe the Matrix, to be honest. Maybe so. I shouldn't speculate as much. No, I yeah. really like it. And I, I just don't want them to, yeah... Uh, cash in or whatever. I imagine yeah. after twenty years when they're doing all this other stuff, I can't imagine they're just doing it to cash in. Like, surely, like it's because they've got a cool idea. Otherwise, they would have done it earlier. Like, I just hope it comes off and that the studio doesn't doesn't fuck them too much. Yeah. Anyway, I am hopeful as well, but I don't want to get my heart broken. Um, I think that might be all I have to news. A bit of a short one this week. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a bit of a um, a slow news week, and considering we're recording this like more than a week before the episode actually comes out, people are going to be like, "What do you mean it was a slow news week?" <laughs> yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio landed on the moon. Yeah, prediction. <laughs> Daniel Craig died. <laughs> Okay, should we try a bit of beef, beefness or pleasure? Yeah, let's okay. do it. Uh, this is, of course, the segment where every week, Andrew and I have some very important beefness to attend to. We uh, pull up our socks, we tuck in our shirts. We talk about movies. Uh, you know, pre- prepare extensive, well-researched, in-depth notes on on a movie of choice. Yeah. This week, of course, it what was... What do you do? It. <laughs> <laughs> Part two, Stephen King's It, starring Bill Skarsgård in 2019. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, you know, we... Uh, we uh, we have a bit of time to ourselves. We like to kick back, pop out our boardies, jump in the pool, blow up the little sun lounge. And, Suck uh, down a couple of pina coladas. Yeah, you know, all while, uh, all while watching some other movies on a little lappy. Mm. A little top of lap type situation. Watching some Netflix um, on my Samsung Galaxy S10 Plus. Proud sponsor of Beef Station. Yeah. Pina coladas. Damn it. Imagine if we got sponsored by Samsung. That'd be great. Fuck, that'd be good. Actually, no, we couldn't say anything ever. I would sell my we'd, soul. We'd Mate, be able nah. to talk about cum way less. <laughs> um, In hindsight, maybe that would have been worth yeah, it. Alyssa is right now a begging Samsung to throw money at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm booking flights to Korea to make this happen. <laughs> um, so what'd you get, boy? Any, anything else you watched this week? I did. I actually have three... Extra Fuck films me. that I watched this week. Two of them were today. It was a slow day. <laughs> you were busy, week. Spent time in bed. Yes. Hey, uh, some of some of you on the Facebook thing will know that I was at uh, a a local nature reserve at six o'clock this morning, filming <laughs> some shit on my nature reserve slash private property. We're not sure. I didn't <laughs> clarify because I took the approach. I'd rather ask for forgiveness <laughs> than permission. Oh man. Um. I did jump a barbed wire fence at 6 o'clock this morning in my pajamas. Nature (laughs) Reserves, famously girt by barbed wire. Well, there's a road right next to it, and my thinking was if there are kangaroos or whatever chewing on some grass there, they don't want them jumping over, so they just put the barbed wire fence there. So I actually thought it was more likely to be keeping wildlife out than keeping people... Keeping wildlife in than people out. But anyway, 
I looked at the sign and it didn't say anything and I thought, well, I don't care. So, I watched... In, let's, let's do this. Okay, you pick. Chronological, alphabetical, or my personal ratings order. Please don't pick the last one because I have not thought about it. <laughs> right, well, <laughs> obviously. Oh, no. <laughs> He's gone and done it. He's no, no, I, I want you to pick it based on ascending order of screen size that you watched it on. Oh, that's good. Okay, all right. Well, I watched one of them on a 24-inch monitor. Right. I watched another one. Oh, damn it. No, I watched... Oh, no. On a slightly smaller monitor. Okay. Right, right. there you We've go. We've got our order. Okay. Brilliant. First of all, on the largest screen. What's, what's Which screen was it? This was on my main desktop monitor. 24-inch monitor. 24 right. Inch point something. Well, ascending order. So you've got to start with the smallest one, mate. Fucking hell. Oh, in ascending we'll keep, order. Okay, we'll keep the 24-inch right. monitor till last. Okay, ascending order. Okay. Sorry. On my mobile phone, which once again is a Samsung Galaxy S10+. Plus. Proud sponsor of BPS. I watched... Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Fuck me! That's like a three-hour-long movie. Uh, Why'd you watch that on your phone? Two hours seven. Two hours seven minutes. Jesus Not Christ! Not that long. Um, because I've got a massive phone, mate. It's basically a tablet. <laughs> I, I basically <laughs> right, watched mate. it on my Samsung pad. Well, we all love Samsung mobile yeah. phones, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No more than you and I. Well, this is my impression of you. Uh, my mobile phone's too big. <laughs> I'm going to get a tiny little mobile phone for babies. <laughs> I didn't make that decision, and so I have a big mobile phone screen. Now, I, so one thing, now I've always wanted to go in and tinker tail soldier spy. The one thing that I've always heard online is how much people say it's so confusing and, like, what's going on? And you watch it, and it's a very complex plot. Is that true, or are people on the internet morons? I think... Here's... Okay. I'll cover that. The first time I tried to watch this film was while I was on my gap year, and so I was in Britain, and it felt appropriate. I'd just been to see Bletchley Park, which is the place that they cracked the Enigma Code in World War Two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've been there, I know. They had to finish the <laughs> sequel with a real bang. Fuck yeah. Uh... You didn't make that up. What? Is that an atomic bomb joke? <laughs> no, I mean, no, well, I'm not. I think smart. it was. <laughs> I just meant like, you know, the go out. Yeah. If they cracked the Enigma code in in in, in World War One, what the fuck were they going to well, do in World War Two? Yeah, well, yeah. we're just been treading water in the second. Yeah, one. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to be able to make an atomic bomb joke. I was thinking about the war in Europe. Forget the war in the Pacific. That's basically not even World War Two. Damn. Yeah. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy <laughs> is a 2011 film uh, set in the Cold War. It's a spy thriller directed by Thomas Alfredson. Jesus. really hasn't done much else. Um, from what I could tell, so he's a Swedish director. Uh, he directed Let the Right One In, which was quite a popular looking like thriller film. Yeah, I've heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, and uh, a, f- a few others... Um, but hasn't really done much. In 2017, he did a film called The Snowman, which wasn't really... Not much happened with it. I think I've seen that. The problem is I don't remember enough about it to remember whether the details I remember are spoilers or not. Right, okay. <laughs> all right. But you think you have seen it. I think I've seen it. Okay, all right. So, the one of the reasons why I went back in on this movie, the first time I tried to watch it, I turned it off like 20 minutes in because I was bored as fuck. Too confusing, too boring. 
You know what I was doing wrong is that I was splitting my attention between it and my phone <laughs> because you absolutely have to pay attention to this movie because if you don't <laughs> pay attention... So you figured you'd play the long game, buy a phone that's big enough so you can watch <laughs> yeah. movies on it and you can't split your attention. And that's, that's right. And I, do it. I was watching it on TV last time. Huge mistake. <laughs> um, no, I guess... Yeah, no. I, it was just... I thought, look, this this has been really highly praised. It actually won an Academy Award, um, which as listeners of this podcast will know, it means very little. But <laughs> it was really, really, really highly praised. And so I thought, I clearly missed something. So so what did you reckon second time around? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, you have to pay attention to it. And uh, it is a complicated plot. There's a lot of like, it, it's sort of like approaching the idea of like double and maybe triple agents. But you follow Gary Oldman's character right. the whole way through. There's, also, it's a banging cast. Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, John Hurt, Tom Jones, Mark Strong, Benedict Cumberbatch. What the fuck's Tom Jones doing in the movie? Yeah. Um, you mean the singer? Sorry, Toby Jones. All oh, right. <laughs> I think I said Tom Jones, but no. Yeah, to- I thought like the what's new pussycat. <laughs> no, 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 Toby Jones, who is the most fucked looking man. Let me show you a photo. Je- no, I know that guy. Yeah, he's. <laughs> yeah. He, he looks like he was born to play a Bond villain. He looks like he was. Yeah, he looks like he was born born to play a gremlin. <laughs> I'm going back listening to the old Ricky Gervais podcast, which is um, it's mostly God, just Carl. Why? It's so funny, man. It's Carl Pilkington, Stephen Merchant, and Ricky Gervais, and it's the feature of it is mostly Carl Pilkington, who's this weird dude they found that works at the radio station that has all these oddball theories yeah. about shit. Um, and my favorite quote from the whole series of the podcast so far is. <laughs> Carl asking, what are, what are those things in Gremlins called? <laughs> <laughs> What's your theory on that, Carl? <laughs> so you just, you yeah, just, the little don't get them wet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the little don't feed them after midnight. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, remind, you remind me of it. I'm not going to do it. I'm giggling about it. What are them things in Gremlins called? Um, that sounds like a thing that a person that was high said. <laughs> He also said once, are you, you, know, you know that thing you think about, like whether your brain's in charge of you or whether you're in charge of your brain? Yeah. And they go, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I thought about that today. <laughs> I was really tired and I was driving and I was like, remember, you're the pilot of this body. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so much so of the podcast is Carl trying to get to a point and him saying something weird like that and then being like, whoa, 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 <laughs> slow right down. <laughs> yeah, back up, back up, back what up. What the fuck up. are you talking about? Um, Sorry, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Fuck Ricky Gervais, though. So this film, we we start off with um, John Hurt plays the operator of intelligence in the British government. So he's like the head of the spy agency, and his name is Control. And Brilliant. he starts to suspect that there is a mole in the organization that's very mm-hmm. high up. So basically one of the five people that sit as like his deputies, his lieutenants. Um, which are comprised of Gary Oldman, Colin Firth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So he goes to one of his intelligence agents and he says, I need you to go to Hungary uh, and meet up with this person because this person, this uh, Russian lieutenant knows the name of this person, knows the code name, and that'll give me insight into who the mole is. So Mark Strong goes to Hungary, and this happens, this is like minor spoiler, but it happens in like the first 10 minutes of the film. Yeah. Um, you clearly start to figure out that something feels very wrong and... Uh, it goes very south, and he ends up getting shot, and it turns out it was a setup. So John Hurt's character gets pinned for that, and they're like, you fucked up. You sent this guy out off the books. Like You made a call without consulting with us. Now you've screwed up. And so he gets kind of fired, and 
I guess there's still some lingering evidence that there might be a mole, and Gary Oldman is tasked with kind of like solving that mystery. That sounds cool. I might it go in. It is cool. It's cool, and you love period films, and this film... I love perfect cars in period yeah, films. Yeah, so this is based <laughs> in... Oh, there's lots of those, mate. So this is based in like 1960s, 1970s? I think 1970s, and it's mostly set in London, but also it goes into... It goes through Paris, it goes through Hungary, it goes through... Russia. It's got any banging seventies music in it? Yeah, it does. Ooh. I always thought this was like a forties. No, no, it's Cold War. Like uptight kind of Cold War. Oh, that's cool. So every single there are like vast sets in this, like interiors of office buildings, exteriors of shop fronts, heaps of shit that is all like perfect seventies Cold War era. It's amazing shit. It's so good. I was noticing like books and folders on the wall. Like the manila folders looked old as hell. Oh, yeah? Oh, it was great. I got so immersed in the world. And then I actually, I think I was just in the wrong mood for it the first time. Because the story is really enthralling. Um, Tom Hardy has a great performance. Gary Oldman always has a good performance. He's so good. Um, It's about the intelligence agency in the 1970s. So, like, they're all white dudes. There is a really interesting female character that comes in briefly that was one of my favorites. She sort of plays like this bigger than her person role. Sure. Um, she functions as like a bit of a metaphor. Uh, but other than that, there's no, there's no oh, yeah. women in this film. It's a very wide dude film. But the, I, I would say that's like one of its main downfalls. I think it's really well written. It's really well shot. Uh, really interesting. It reminded me a bit of like The Lives of Others. You remember that German film? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it's a slow burn like that one. So that's a really good movie. That's as well. a good fucking movie, and I enjoyed this one too. Oh, cool! So okay. I'd go in on it. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. All right. Great. Uh, I've got two others to talk about, but did you want to start with one? Uh, yeah. So um, based off a, a couple of discussions, specifically we a film. <laughs> oh damn! Uh, I'll go again then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Based off our few discussions that we're having in that Facebook group we talked about at the start of the show, this beef station shit posting, <laughs> beef posting, beef whatever posting. the fuck it's called, um, we were talking about favorite Australian films, and someone from the group Kira was talking about um, their favorite Australian directors in Australian films, and I was my 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 gaze was drawn. <laughs> By uh, the name Ray Lawrence, who's done several films Very good. Uh, starring the music of Paul Kelly. I'm a real big fan of Paul Kelly. You and are. You're a two, Kelly head. <laughs> um, and two head fi- Kelly. Two, <laughs> <laughs> um, two films specifically that Ray, Ray Lawrence has done, Lantana and Jindabyne. Paul Kelly did an all-original score for. I. That's cool as hell. Yeah, and... I listened to Paul Kelly's autobiography memoir thing a few years ago where he was talking about doing the score for it. And the way he actually did it was interesting enough that when these names, when the films popped up again in the Facebook group, I thought, oh, fuck, I'd watch one of those. So I watched Lantana during the week. I thought it was really good. It's like What's a, it um, about? It's like a, so it's set in Sydney in 2002. Lantana, I think, is the name of like a native bush plant weed thing that grows in Sydney. So it's sort of set in the suburbs. It's kind of if Love Actually was a weird, was like an indie drama set in the Australian suburbs. Okay. In that it's not like a rom com or anything, but it's like four different interrelated stories on a theme. Has it got anyone in it that we might know? Yeah, so it's got Glenn Robbins from Kath and Kim, Jeffrey Rush, oh, cool. um, Anthony Lapaglia, a whole bunch of other 
um, actors that I'm not necessarily as familiar with. Barbara Hershey, Kerry Armstrong, shitloads. Because there's like five different storylines. It's, it's like a huge ensemble cast. Right, right, right. So the first shot of the whole film is like a dead body in a bush. And so already you're like, oh, okay. And then it cuts back and um, you get to see like the home and the family life of this dude who's a cop and he's like pretty wife and two kids and their pretty house in, sub- in the suburbs. I'm assuming this nuclear family will end well. well. It sort of just shows that their marriage is kind of distant. He's he's kind of depressed and sort of kind of isn't really cool with his jo- his job's kind of bumming him out a bit. I mean, he's sort of stuck behind a desk and stuck doing this depressing, intense, violent kind of cop shit. Um, and the wife is going to marriage counselling or like therapy sessions and this therapist is the therapist for like half of the other characters in the film. And so the film does this really cool thing ah, where you get to see like... Yeah, I suppose a little bit, yeah. And so where it gets it does this cool thing where you'll see like the husband and wife talking and sort of hashing out their problems or maybe ignoring each other and not really talking about their problems. And then you'll see the same wife character in therapy being like a completely different person and being oh, really open and cool. honest. And so that's you cool almost like performance dynamic. It is really cool. It, almost in the same I think we were talking recently about like a character that um in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood playing a where, character. Yeah, exactly, where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is playing a character and then there's that snap change between performances. Yeah. And you almost get a bit of that in Lantana where um the actress will be sort of um pretending to be all happy families with her husband and they'll be a completely different person in therapy. Right. And then those emotions that she talks about in therapy are projected upon the character you're seeing her playing with her family in the next scene, hmm. which I really enjoyed. So the dad cop is kind of unhappy in this marriage and he's having a he's having an affair with some woman that he's met in their dance class that he's doing with his wife to try and like bring a bit more passion. They're doing this like salsa class to bring more passion into the relationship. And so then already it's really interesting where you're like, right, well, there's two people here. One of, them is, one of them's having an affair and the other one's in counselling, but they both still talk about how they're into each other. So it's, it, I don't know, the whole film seems to kind of be about truthfulness and being about the idea of like humans not being able to communicate properly with each other and the idea of like, even if you want to be, these two people do still have some sort of emotional investment in this marriage and they both want to make it work, but they clearly still are somehow sort of self-sabotaging. Right. Um, it's kind of not interesting to describe all the four different relationships. Sure. Needless to say, it's really interesting. Um, so there's all these different complicated relationships to go in and like a lot of these ensemble films do, they sort of like start to tie together quite slowly like um, and to connect and sort of wrap up. And so it feels like quite a slow emotional drama, I suppose, at the start. But it started off with that shot of the dead body, so that's sort of in the back of your mind the whole time. Right, right what's happening? Right, and you're like, trying when's to like going to come back. Yeah, and it gives you quite a detailed shot of who it is that's dead, but you don't remember, you don't know any of the characters yet. So it comes back, and you'll see like a lady wearing stockings. And you're like, is she about to die? Oh, okay. Or you'll see like a lady with like a pencil skirt. So it doesn't like show you the face, and then you see the person's face later on, and you're like, no, you're oh, like, oh, like no, you're not, you're not quite sure. But right, you're like, okay. right. Well, obviously one of these people's going to fucking die. It's so what's going to happen? Yeah. We, we got a cop here. We got all these dysfunctional relationships chips happening someone's dead oh that sounds um, neat yeah it's cool so um, is it like a lot of like it sounds like there's a lot of talking in this movie well it, it was based on a play as well oh man animal kingdom no not animal kingdom the boys yeah was based on a play um, as well which was like a really indie film that i watched <laughs> incidentally paul kelly talked about that film the in boys his yeah yeah in his memoir the, where he was talking the, about the play or the film did he talk about I don't remember one of them. He it's fucking interesting. The, the music was done by someone that he knew. Oh, the film, like yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And so Paul Kelly did the score for this. And interestingly, before I get too much into the film, the film's kind of 
I don't know, there's a lot of like beautiful natural light type shots. He apparently shot it really quickly. And one of the cool parts about the film is the score that Paul Kelly did. And he said that he was inspired by some band called The Necks, who were famous <laughs> back in the day. Some Australian, some Australian band who would go on stage. Australian not- bands are the most fuck nice. Like, yeah, the man. Necks, the drones. <laughs> <laughs> some band that was um, uh, apparently well known for just getting up on stage without a set list and improvising the whole show. And Jesus like improvising Christ. them. I suppose like jazz, but like improvising a whole show's worth of music. And he said like that, he wanted to do a film score like that. And so he God. got he got his um, rock band into the <laughs> studio and just jammed for like six hours based on some themes that he'd already sort of agreed upon with um, the director of Lantana. That's funny. Like he gets into the studio and <laughs> the guy's like, so Paul, what have you got? Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, so I was thinking, let's go in with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he said like, yeah, he talked, uh, he talked to talk them and apparently like Ray Lawrence's eyes went all wide. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing the same thing. This dude makes like, made like three movies in 20 years and he like waits till he gets like the God. perfect amount of funding to be able to do a movie. And so he was like, Paul, <laughs> would you want to like do m- music for me one day? And Paul was like, yeah, I suppose so. And like 10 years later, Ray was like, Oi, remember when you said you did music for me? Now's your time. And Paul was like, how about we just do nothing? And apparently oh Ray God. Lawrence is big into like the thrill of the challenge and was like, that's insane. I'm in. Let's do it. Oh, right. Um, okay, cool. And then they get into the studio and he said like, he's got like... He was like sitting there staring yeah. at the pool. I've made a huge mistake. Well, he had like a guy on organ and like two guitarists with all these effects with delay and reverb and swirl and all these crazy pedals and shit. Cool. And then like drums and apparently like it got to the point where there were bits where it was this like crazy psych wall of noise and Ray was like, Paul, this is going to work. This is a little heavy for my like emotional romance oh, that's good. Uh, drama. And Paul was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let me just introduce to you the, the fact that all these are on separate tracks. Ah, uh, like, cool. And also, I'm the music guy. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, did you write How to Make Gravy? I don't, bu- <laughs> yeah, I don't bust down to the set and knock the camera out of your hand, do I? <laughs> knock the camera out of your mouth. I don't bust down to the set and knock the cameras out of your mouth, do I? I wrote that joke. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting an EP credit. Um, they're all on separate tracks, man. No one's going to oh, know. Fuck that we are. We are. <laughs> um, Great. So then, apparently, the, the the fun bit about doing the score was then sp- fun was then spending the next month like picking which bits of which tracks, cutting them together. And he was talking. Yeah, that would have been fun for forty five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> oh god! So he said he was. T- he said he thought that like you would have thought it's easy to talk to creatives, a fellow creative, a songwriter nah. talking to him, a, a filmmaker. I'm already disagreeing with that. <laughs> and like collaborate, and he said, "Nah, man, it's like two different Papua New Guinean tribes trying to communicate." Yeah. Like he says, like you'd have problems where like. The filmmaker could be like, this needs to be choppier. And Paul would be like, cool. And he'd come back with this song. <laughs> and the filmmaker would be like, no, no, I didn't mean literally choppy. I meant like emotionally choppy. And he'd be right. Like, Fuck. And he'd be like, <laughs> yeah. can you make a bit of music that sort of goes for a minute and 45 seconds and gets really intense at about 30 seconds and then has a really nice emotional upswell at about a minute and 12? And Paul would be like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... That's weird as hell, man. <laughs> and so then if you've just recorded six hours of improvised yeah. improvised music, God, you then have to improvised. go back and like cut that later to the music. Um, whatever. It sounded like a really interesting thing. And the score fits itself really well. It turns out to be a lot of ambient stuff with like guitar. It sounds like guitar volume pedals sort of swelling the music in and out. And yeah, like yeah, yeah. Organs and stuff. Um, 
a really cool movie that I realize I haven't said very much about, but I was very grateful for the recommendation. I think you said a fair bit about it, yeah. Because <laughs> you've said you've said quite enough. No, no. As in, I think you've, <laughs> I think you've given people enough of an insight to decide if it's the type of thing where they're like, "Oh, I'd hate that," or like, "It sounds really good." Yeah. Um, also, it's an Australian movie. Check out Australian cinema. It's really cool. So, like, a lot a lot of the fun of the film is watching these people bear their souls out to complete strangers sometimes yeah. or like bear you know pour their heart out to this therapist and say like exactly what they want and then proceed to not act on any of that advice at all right <laughs> <laughs> and it felt very true to life that is exactly like true life yeah um, cool movie Lantana Australian movie from 2002 where did you watch it I bought it on iTunes I rented it on iTunes okay so you can rent it on probably yeah. iTunes and Google Play then yeah so okay I went in on two other films this week uh, one of which I watched by myself one of which I watched oh and we're doing them in ascending, ascending order of ascending screen order size ascending order of screen size so yeah right so I want the the middle one I watched The Informant, which is a 2009 film directed by Steven Soderbergh, actually. On what monitor? Uh, on my supplemental desktop monitor. So I'm, they're the same <laughs> size, so I was forced to go with a different metric, and I've gone with refresh rate. Fuck me. So one of these, one of these monitors is a 60p monitor, and the other one is 144 <laughs> gorgeous hertz. <laughs> And uh, uh, a beautiful statement on your, <laughs> your your social class that you literally had three different screens that you watched the movies on this yeah, week. Man. I was playing Counter Strike <laughs> while I watched this movie, so <laughs> let's see if that factors in. I didn't love this movie. Didn't really capture my attention. <laughs> I thought no. Look, it was it was not. It was the what movie? <laughs> the Informant. Right. The so a 2009 film with starring Matt Damon, directed by Steven Soderbergh, who has also directed. Uh, a bunch of other films, probably most famously, uh, Aaron Brockovich and Ocean's A. Now, he produced Ocean's A. One thing I have heard about The Informant is that it's not as interesting as four to six rounds of Counter-Strike. Is that that something that you you might have sympathized with then, or what? Uh, Yeah, no, I I found myself fixating, at least while I was alive, on the Counter-Strike games (laughs) that I was playing a fair amount. No, it was, look, it was interesting. Is it funny, or what? I think it tried to be funny. I'm looking up... Okay, so Steven Soderbergh directed Ocean's 13, Ocean's 12, and Ocean's 11. <laughs> um, so he's also done a bit of Grey's Anatomy. Like, he's a well-established director. He also directed the live video documentary from the Yes 90210 performance. We've done this exactly last time I think before. so, yeah. When you... I thought you were like, when my yes, 90210... <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Steven, directed by Steven Soderbergh, starring Matt Damon. That's basically all you really need to know, um, except it also has Joel McHale, the main guy from Community. Yeah, okay. It has a main guy from Community as a supporting detective. Um, so that's basically all the famous people that I knew. The storyline is based off uh, a real. So it, it, it's. The script was written by someone basing it off a, a, a book by Kurt Eichenwald, who is a journalist, and the Kurt Eichenwald book was based on... Uh, this real thing happened where a whistleblower blew the whistle on the price-fixing of a chemical compound called lysine, which is added to uh, different animals' diets to change the way that they grow and produce, basically. So, like, chickens, where you feed them lysine, like become viable meat faster and like prawns okay, sure. grow bigger and stuff. So, so how, how does this make for an interesting film? Blah, blah, blah. So their price, the company that he works for is price fixing it and the company starts to get interest from the FBI about, not about the price fixing, but about something else. And then he blows the whistle on the price fixing. And then he's stuck between the FBI and this 
company. Right. And but does it have that same kind of smarmy, snarky kind of tone that Ocean's Eleven does, where it's sort of half exciting heist kind of thing, half funny kind of? I think it had some like some of the tone of. Um, some you know of the I mean? tone like, of Ocean's Eleven. Like, yeah, is this just yeah, a yeah, drama yeah. about price fixing, or is it trying no, to be entertaining no, in some way? No. Part of the reason it's entertaining is because you get access to a lot of uh, Matt Damon's character's internal monologue, um, and the reactions. He's fucking weird, yeah, right. um, and it becomes apparent why later. And he, the reactions of the FBI detectives that he's working with, and eventually the law, the legal people that he's working with, are the funny. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, it was an interesting movie. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it. It was on my list, and I just thought, I want something to watch while I'm doing other shit. <coughs> and, cool. Uh, and it was good for that, so I didn't have to pay too much attention. A lot of the information was had through conversations. Okay. So. Going through the main event, enjoyed on the biggest monitor for the week. Yes, the, the, the largest monitor was High Life, which is a 2018 film by Claire Denis, starring Robert Pattinson. Um this was I, I actually watched it with a friend of the show and previous guest Zach. This was a fucked movie that I really enjoyed. Um, it was not the type of film that I thought it was. I think I've talked about it before in the context of the other space-based low-budget film that we talked about, Prospect. Yeah, Prospect was like yeah something that something that would end up on Netflix. It was a good sci-fi movie, low budget, very clever, very ingenuitive, um, yeah. strong aesthetics. This fucking movie, I did not know who Claire Denis the director was, but Claire Denis is famous for her erotic thrillers. And this movie was something else. <laughs> so is it a, did you say it's a space movie? It's a sci-fi film mostly set on the one spacecraft. Brilliant. Uh, and one windowless spacecraft. So the setup is that a group of criminals are serving death sentences on Earth. And they are... It's, so it's like near future. I yeah. guess maybe like distant future, but... Um, Futuristic, and they're sent on this mission to basically to test out a theory which actually exists in real life that you can extract infinite energy from black holes by sending a spaceship close enough to it that the slingshot effect from like getting it back out of its orbit is generating energy rather than losing it. Okay. Um, that's not the interesting part, but that's why they're there. But basically, what that sets this up as it's a prison ship. Yeah. Um, and it's led by this doctor. So it stars, uh, as I said, Robert Pattinson, who does a brilliant performance. Uh, Juliette Binochet, who has been in uh, a bunch of different films that I thought that I had seen her in, but then hadn't Oh, Juliette Binoche. Yeah, she's, she's been in heaps of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Binoche. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so if you've heard of her before... She's uh, in this. Then she's also in this and she so, plays a doctor. So what is it, like an arty drama kind of thing or what? Yeah, and so part of the reason why I'm not being particularly concise is that it's kind of hard to talk about what this film is because what it actually is about is a study of like what human... I'm reminded of the... Have you ever heard of the Stanford Prison Experiment? Uh, yeah, but remind me. Okay, so it, it was this experiment that they did back in like the 60s or 70s where is they Is that chucked, the thing with a button? No, but it's it's often brought up with that. So it's this example of where they chucked people, just random people, students, I think, into a setting where half of the people were randomly assigned to be prisoners and half of the people were randomly assigned to be guards. And the guards just became more authoritarian for no reason. Yeah, and the prisoners yeah. became like more and more fucking depressed at being institutionalized and like there would be, like within the third or fourth day, they had to cancel it because it was already too violent yeah. uh, and unethical. So in this film 
there aren't explicitly guards, but the people have started to assume like certain roles and that type of shit. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting seeing how the idea of like a, a, a prison ship plays out um, with like oversight by this doctor. The cinematography is really interesting. The uh, it's kind of uh, at its at its core, it's like asking the question of like, right, well, what are what are people actually capable of? And all of the societal bounds are removed. It's a little bit like what are people capable of, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because they all kind of depend on each other, so they don't want to like fuck each other up too hard. But yeah. then they're on there for a long time, so they get sick of doing that. Did you enjoy anyway. it as much as Prospect? Is that like a cool little sci-fi film that you'd recommend? I think I enjoyed it maybe more than that, but. It is harder to watch. You said like erotic um, thriller. Is there like weird, intense or gory or sort yes. of fucked up bits to it? Or yeah, what? and it's very like you remember how I talked about climax that movie that was like directed by Gaspar yeah. Noe that that was the punch gets spiked and then people like impressionistic LSD shit. Yeah, it's a it feels quite similar. Um, it also it, apparently the main influence for this film was uh, Andre Tarkovsky's Stalker. I'm getting real into like cinema head shit yeah. here. Um, but there's a lot of shots that are kind of established. It it tells the story by like st- sort of very locked off tripod shots of just like s- objects or things that are happening rather than like tracking shots of moving around a lot and following characters or like lengthy dialogues. And so you feel like what, like a fly on the wall type thing. Yeah, and it's it, it, she uses a lot of like very closed or like very narrow lenses. So like yeah. often you don't get much in the frame and you're forced to just kind of look at the person that you're looking at and nothing around them. It's not very, like, conventionally cinematic. It's not very open. It sounds like it could very easily be boring if it's not done It's right. not boring. It's claustrophobic. Okay. Um, and it creates that sense of, like, everyone's fucking crammed in here together. Yeah. Uh, and these aren't necessarily people that haven't already done really fucked up stuff. Yeah, cool. So, it's interesting. I found myself asking multiple times in this film, like, oh, this is not the movie that I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, but I was just really surprised by it. Um, I'd recommend it. It's shot in, like, various different aspect ratios, and I was looking up why. Um, It was shot on some weird-ass cameras, and one of them is actually a camera that gets attached to the uh, barrels of paintball guns to try and film footage of paintball matches, like, after (laughs) the fact and analyze those. So... They use some really interesting like cinematic techniques, but it means that like it switches between not four by three, but something close to it, like you know where you've got yeah, the yeah, yeah. letter uh, pillar box. Yeah, it, it changes widths of pillar box within the same scene sometimes because they shot it on different cameras. Fuck that! But it's shoot it in- on the same camera. But it's intentional <laughs> and uh, and it creates a strange sense of like perspective. <laughs> we even um, worse if it was accidentally like, get halfway through shooting a scene like, oh fuck, is this that paintball camera? <laughs> no. Left this line that around. one was used for like a very specific moment. They also it's funny because I think that yeah, this came out like this year, so it has yeah. some footage of uh like footage of a black hole that is like at points very reminiscent of Interstellar on a lower budget. And apparently all of the scenes involving the black hole were shot with this weird paintball camera. So I don't right. know what they were doing, but um, yeah, some weird, <laughs> weird stuff. Maybe the weird thing was like, oh, they put paint on glad wrap and spun it around it with could, a stick. It could like have been something like that, honestly, because <laughs> they didn't have a, this was a tiny budget, so they did not have a lot of money for didn't, visual Didn't effects. have time to go and uh, actually film a black hole for real. Yeah. Like our boy Chris did. Uh, so like, I guess the main point of this film is like, yeah, what do people do? But we also get this sub-narrative of like Robert Pattinson, it flicks back and forward in time. And yeah. the later time timeline is Robert Pattinson raising a baby on this spaceship by himself. And so what what sort of happens is we learn slowly 
what the events were that led to Robert Pattinson a like having a fucking child, yeah, and b um, being alone on the spaceship. What actually happened with that? It was really interesting to watch. Uh, the day after we pirated it, <laughs> yeah, I said it. Um, the day after we found it online, it got added to Netflix. Fuck my life. Brilliant. So um, yeah, it's it's now on Netflix. <laughs> oh no, Google Play. Sorry, not Netflix. Google Play. Um, so what's it's it called? called? High Life. And okay. It was, uh, out in 2018. So Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, High Life, Lantana, and The Informant. I wouldn't worry about The Informant, but okay. if you if you're in the mood to challenge yourself, I think I said the same thing about Climax. If yeah. you're in the mood to challenge yourself, and you're into like I, either you know what Claire Denis does, or you're into French cinema, yeah, um, then yeah, I'd go in on High Life. Cool. Rob, Robert Pattinson has a fucking commanding performance, and there are some really interesting visuals. If you like Andre Tarkovsky. Uh, or are a particular fan of Stalker, then you'll really like this. Okay, well, those are the films we've covered this week. Yep. Uh, time to kick off into the film that we're doing for this week, which, of course, is Chapter 2 of Stephen King's It 2019 adaptation. It's the sequel to Part 1. Spooky Clown movie number one. <laughs> yeah, it's the sequel to Part 1 that came out in 2017. This stars Bill Skarsgård as the clown again, Pennywise the clown, with a returning cast of children intercut alongside their grown-up characters 27 years later. So if you don't know, maybe Andrew doesn't know because <laughs> you hadn't seen yeah, part one. Yeah, yeah. So I'm bringing, I'm bringing a new lens to this. So the idea behind it is there's this little town in buttfuck nowhere America where there's this demon fucking monster thing mm. that haunts the town and it's like this shape-shifting thing that can sense what your worst nightmare is and bring that to life to fuck with you and murder you or whatever. And it comes back to the town to wreak havoc every 27 years. And so the kids originally... I think, I don't remember how the first one goes, someone goes missing and they look into it and they find all these like news stories. The first one's set in the 80s. So they find all these news stories from like the 40s or the 50s or whatever being about 27 like, oh. years ago yeah exactly yeah. like oh you know ages ago oh these people went missing all those black and white news snippets and then before that you know like the, the 1920s or whatever so like it's like long enough ago that it's almost forgotten by the previous generation and it's hard enough to like keep track of the documents of like who went missing 27 years ago type shit and so these kids track down um, this clown thing is the shot the idea behind the first one? They do battle with the clown thing, and it wreaks havoc on so the town. Yeah, I, I think in this review we're gonna fucking spoiler the first chapter. I suppose so, but like yeah. kids look for monsters, they find the monsters, and the you know we don't know who wins, but whatever. The point is, this part two is then filmed twenty seven years later. So all these kids have now grown up, and it follows the same yeah the same characters. These same five or six kids grow up. And they promised 27 years from now, let's meet back in this town and we will finish off this dude once and for all if he comes back. We're not even sure if he will come back. Turns out the town has this weird amnesia effect where like, the longer you aren't living there and the, the further you live away from it, the more you forget. So one of their friends lives in a town and has become weirdly obsessive with it with like fucking string on the wall pinball. He, he stayed shit. there. He stayed in the town. Yeah. All the other ones have gone off. And so... They've, I think they've matched up the kids' actors with quite suitable, famous adult celebrity actors. This so, has a huge cast. Yeah. Jessica Chastain plays Beverly. Also a redhead. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, James McAvoy plays Bill, the stuttering... Uh, screenwriter. Hollywood screenwriter, whose endings always suck. 
which is definitely Stephen King being, being like, like, get off my dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to end a book, okay? <laughs> when it's a thousand pages long. Yeah. You know, it's like a thousand pages yeah. long. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Bill Hader and Finn... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I watched the Red Letter Media review of this where one of them, Jay, was like, this one just has so much stuff in it. <laughs> and the other one just leans across, Mike, I think, just leans across and like taps the book. <laughs> it's like a thousand pages. It's like, this was never going to be clean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, it's huge. <laughs> Bill Hader plays the grown-up version of Finn Wolfhard. He is a n- now quite a successful stand-up comedian in like LA or New York or whatever. Um, their friend who stays in town, his name is Mike, that's played as an adult by Isaiah Mustafa, who I didn't really recognize, and as a kid by Chosen Jacobs. Chosen Jacobs. Yeah, his name's is Chosen. A fucking great. Good name. shit. Um, there's this hypochondriac character who, as an adult, is played by James Ransone. What? Dude, the guy that played. Mike, the guy that stays in the town, is the dude from the Old Spice commercials. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. As I must Didn't look like him. Fuck. Um, they make yeah, him um, look completely different. <laughs> well, yeah, so, uh, so, this, so this film essentially follows the same kids 27 years later. And I'd say, honestly, it's probably exactly the same story again. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you liked this second one, you could go back and watch the first one and... Watch exactly the same story happen again. It's I literally think from just from what I've heard. You don't need to watch the first one if you see the second one because it also kind of summarizes enough it. of the children's storyline that you yeah, get it. It sort of flashes back and forwards. Um, yeah, and the so first like, one doesn't flash forwards at all, though. So you sort of get two for one. Yeah, right. It's, but it's a, so then I think like it's always a bit risky when you have a film that's like mainly based around child actors that you're like, oh, these better be good. And I think especially the first when it's one, based on a book where all those kids have an orgy at the <laughs> <laughs> is that true yeah they have an orgy in the book <laughs> funnily enough got cut from the movie <laughs> there's like yeah there's oh, a man. weird child orgy and everyone was kind of like why is this has no one read this thousand page <laughs> book about Bill Hader did an interview yeah, recently every producer got 400 pages <laughs> in and on page 450 yeah, huge yeah. orgy <laughs> Bill Hader the screenwriter was like are we are we doing are we doing the, everything <laughs> the book they're like the yeah, orgy yeah, yeah. thing and they're like the book I went Get everyone in the room right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bill Hader was um in, in doing. He's been doing the press junket yeah. r- thing for this, and he said that um uh, the he, press junket for this movie would be a nightmare. Yeah, fuck. So he said he, he got on set. Are you scared of clowns? <laughs> he got on set with like Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy or whatever. So they were like, "Oh, did you read the book?" And he was like, "No, I didn't read the book. It's a thousand pages." Did you guys? And they were all like. Yeah, we got a part in the fucking movie. Of course, we yeah, read yeah, the yeah. book. <laughs> yeah, I think he's the one who's like, "What are you talking about? You're a professional actor." Yes, I read the source material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bill what Hader. are you drawing your character inspiration from, I've, you idiot? Uh, so, so I, I fucking love Bill Hader. Bill Hader, so fucking much. moron. <laughs> Like, yeah, of course I read the book. What are you talking about? It's a major yeah, Hollywood. James McAvoy was like these fucking comedian actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, he didn't read the book. Apparently not. No. God damn. <laughs> He's like, it's like, did th- you read the book? I yeah. watched the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, no, <laughs> but something I noticed, and I can't remember, it was one of our group, Fuck. one of our crew, when we went to go see this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Talked about the fact God, that I kind of crew. agreed. Yeah, I kind of agreed that like um, when you have kids. In a horror movie, there's still kind of like uh, kitty gloves on the whole thing. Where like we can't 
like fucking try and sure slaughter these being kids. Like or, probably eviscerated or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like it doesn't say even the maybe you can you cowards. Oh, I mean, the first one there's a lot of blood, and you see all these kids like being absolutely traumatized. But if somehow still mm. in the second one, the fact that they're adults, maybe I'm just able to be more invested in it or whatever. But I enjoyed the second one a lot more than the first one, especially since these two films basically have exactly the same plot over and over again. It's really easy to compare them. And be like, right, well, the first, the second one was a lot better. I think that there was a lot more variety in the different horror scenes that you have, and I think the fact that the characters had a lot more backstory and background upon which to base all that shit was really interesting. Yeah, for me, this was like a, this movie was like a fun house of horrors. Yeah. Um, where, like, it had occasionally moments that really properly were cr- super creepy, especially the opening scene with the gay couple. Um, where, oh, that was a brutal opening. Um, uh, yeah, the, the fight scene, it was a little bit like, I mean, yeah, okay, it sucks. Uh, like, I'm, I'm sorry that these gay people are experiencing this, but then yeah. I'm here to watch Stephen King's It. So, uh, when uh, one of them runs down to the shore to try and find the one that's been thrown over the bridge and across the way, like, yeah. from a distance, kind of watches Pennywise do his thing. And, like, grab this body. I think that was the creepiest moment of the whole film for me. Oh, really? the rest of it really used a lot of, like... Well, ma- yeah, maybe a few times when... um. Uh, Jessica Chastain's character is in the house with the old woman approached that level. That, that was, was the most terrifying part of the film for me. That personally. was scary as well. But beyond that, it was a lot of jump scares, a lot of like fun, entertaining stuff to watch. But I, I don't think horror heads will think this is a good horror movie. It's definitely like a popcorn horror movie. Neither has I watched many horror movies, but I definitely get the impression that there are lots of different... Well, there's lots of different sub-genres of horror where there is, like, genuinely terrifying horror that's trying to fuck you up. And then there seems like there's more stuff where it's just gore, and there's other ones where it's psychological, and other ones where it's, like, cheesy. And it's, like, having a bit of fun with it. And I feel like this is definitely falling in that camp where there are bits that are creepy, and there are bits that are trying to scare you. And I think it's sort of more like a pick-and-mix kind of film where there's a bit of something for everyone in here. Like, I definitely got got by the the creepy unease of just watching Jessica Chastain alone in this apartment with this old lady. That was one of the strongest, like, horror moments of the film, yeah, for sure. But I imagine for other people, they're going to pick up on different parts of the movie as being more scary for them than others. Like, there's a bit where, um, like, an inanimate thing comes to life and terrifies Bill Hader, um, where I imagine, like, if that's a specific fear that you might have about these statue things, that might creep you out. And I think it's, it's... it's almost like, considering it's three hours long, it's almost like they were like, we'll try and put something that almost everyone finds scary and everyone will have that one scene. Yeah. But for everything else, so many scenes do the thing where they'll have a scary bit and then break the tension with a joke and do the scary bit and break the tension with a joke that I clearly think they're trying to let you have a lot of fun with the film and have it sort of generally entertain you and have scary bits in it rather than be a terrifying horror movie. Yeah, and I think like, so this film is almost three hours long. Yeah, two hours and 50 minutes. Which is... When you see that a film is two hours and fifty minutes long, it had that that on its own has an effect on you I before didn't know, you watch yeah. it. Right? I didn't know it was that long, and I didn't notice it. To be honest, okay, that's interesting. To be honest, I didn't. And I maybe didn't, that's the first time you've ever not noticed it. I didn't buy four beers and tip two of them on my jacket. Okay, Andrew, did you uh did you did you have the same experience? Did you buy four beers and tip yeah, two of them on let's my talk jacket? Let's about the meta experience that we had <laughs> during this movie because one of the funniest things that's ever happened in my entire life oh, we're not gonna be <laughs> did not happen on screen in this film, but certainly happened in the cinema I watched it in. We and are, we yeah, we'll approach that a little later. We're not going to be able to. It's not going to be. It's it's, no. it's it's the ultimate. You had to be there. Yeah. So okay. Yes, 
I did double park going into this movie. <laughs> I specifically, last time we saw a movie in Dendi, Oscar spilled one of my beers. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, Oscar, don't spill my beers this time. Went to the bathroom during the ads. Yeah. The movie started while I was in the toilet. Brilliant. So I came back, immediately kicked over two beers. Two beers. <laughs> so I think I lost a beer and a half <laughs> through through that process. And I smelt like a beer and a half for the next week. Yeah, onto Oscar's jacket and phone. <laughs> uh, but you got a waterproof phone, so fuck up, can't. Great, yeah, what am I <laughs> complaining about? You, you don't have a waterproof jacket? Not my problem. I don't so, have a beer-proof <laughs> immune system either, so, you know, that's yeah. fine. Well, you don't <laughs> suck on your jacket, do you? <laughs> you should be fine. No, no. I mean, well, you should stop doing that. <laughs> um, yes, I that did happen, and that's true, and I'm sorry, and I apologize, and I said I felt bad, and I bought you a cider. You did so buy me a cider. We're all good. But, yeah, I mean, this. so this was a fun house of horrors, and parts of it were much scarier than other parts. I'm glad I didn't see the first movie because I felt like if I'd seen the first one as well, this might have been like tiresome. It might have well, been a little bit like, yeah, I already know what happens to these characters. Shut yeah. up. But I think for if me, you said the back to back, it the would f- be. The flashes back into the past were uh, really insightful. I found myself, so like they call themselves the Losers Club. Yeah. And uh, I did find myself like kind of longing for the story of how the Losers Club got formed. Oh, and apparently the relationship between the children in the first movie is much better portrayed. Like it's a good cast for both, but apparently like the cast of children have a much better chemistry than the yeah, cast of adults. They're like best friends in elementary school. And in right. the part two, they moved their way from the town and hadn't seen each other in 25 years or something. So, yeah, yeah, the adults have to kind of emulate these relationships, but the children apparently do a better job of, like, setting up that dynamic and then, like, carrying that through and yeah. making you invested in the group. So well, I wasn't invested in the group when I walked into this cinema. Yeah. But for me, the Losers Club, just being told, like, this was a group of close-knit kids and that, that was enough and I enjoyed yeah. it. I, I would worry that uh, if I... Watch the first one as well, that it would just be like, yeah, this is the same storyline again. Yeah, kinda. well, I think if you watch it back to back, then it might be a bit tiresome. But I watched the first one when it came out, like two years ago now, or whenever it was. Um, so I, I don't, I didn't remember enough of the film shot beat for beat to be bored of the whole thing and be like, oh, we get it. Yeah. I so in terms of like, what what's this? What's this about? Okay, so. The the overarching storyline is like, yeah, as you said, that this ancient horror is back and these people need to try and fight it. So what happens... And these kids are like the only ones. No one's going to believe us, man. We're the only ones that remember. We're going to have to kill this fucking clown. Right. So they, so they get... It, it starts off by introducing all of the different characters and in independent vignettes. And the, the way that those independent vignettes all end is that they all get a phone call from uh, Old Spice Man yeah, um, saying... Imagine I'm on a horse. <laughs> now imagine I'm haunted by an ancient clown. <laughs> and um, all of them are fine. And yeah. they all agree to meet up at a Chinese restaurant. The tickets are diamonds. And the diamonds are your worst <laughs> yeah. nightmare. The diamonds are a lobster. <laughs> now I'm riding the diamonds. Now you're on a plane. <laughs> Welcome back. Covered in blood. So they end up at the the most well-sound-insulated Chinese restaurant in the world. Yeah. And their memories kind of slowly come back to them and they realize, like, okay, yeah, I remember all this fucked up shit happened. That's a really good intro, I thought. I thought that scene in the Chinese restaurant was a really good job of showing the re- these kind of strangers reconnecting and having a bit of camaraderie rekindle as they have a bit of banter together. Yeah. And the it's way the horror set piece sets itself up in that restaurant scene is really good, I thought. And sets a good tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It, the, the kind of flow of the start of the movie is that you get this scene with this gay couple... 
um, getting the shit beaten out of them by a bunch of thugs. Which I think just sort of shows this Pennywise is, this is introduced. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Pennywise represents like, yeah, this, this trauma that people experience at a young age. Okay, now let's start looking at the major characters and then you get all the characters together. So the, the, the first act is like, Pennywise is back, town's still haunted, let's get the gang back together. Yeah. Okay, now what do we do? Well, I think one of the most important bits about that opening scene is it kind of reintroduces you to the idea that a lot of the horror in the film is based around how horrible people can be to each other. So Which is absolutely what Pennywise... Is, he reminds you of as well. So, like, exactly, like, some of the characters... Well, isn't it meant to be, like... I haven't read the book, but isn't it meant to be, like, it's it's people's greatest... It's kind of like a Bogart from Harry Potter. Like, it's people's greatest fear. Yeah. Because, like, one of them... Bill Hader's character is, like, afraid of spiders. So, like, sometimes this thing manifests as a spider or some yeah. shit, right? Like, and yeah. it just happens to be a clown. Well, Do you know why it's a clown? I don't know why, no. I, I think, I'm, I'm sure that anyone who'd read the book might know, but I don't okay. know. No. Um, right. I know that, so well, for example... screaming at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the one person, the one fucking nerd that's read the yeah. thousand pages. Um, I know, for example, that the, the character Beverly had that um, abusive relationship with her father. Right. And so the clown becomes the father. But I think it's interesting that, like, at least in the movie version, it doesn't become, like, Frankenstein's monster or whatever. It becomes, like, her dad. Because, like, another person is what's caused her the most horror. Yeah, it's definitely... So it's very overtly meant to be that the creature manifests as your source of trauma that you've carried through. Yeah. And how trauma, like, influences people moving forward into their adult Yeah, but I just think it's... it's, I think it's interesting that it's a horror movie where it's it's kind of about human relationships and, like, the connections between different people. Yeah. I think that's Stephen King bleeding through. Yeah, right, yeah. So then I think it's a good... The opening where you see, like two gay guys get bashed in this town and like basically get like their their heads kicked in and they these these hicks these homophobic dudes at the fair try and basically murder them for being gay. I Which think it's like, kind of like a yeah. brutal I was slap like, in the face wake up call at the start of the movie does about this shit like just happen and I guess well, it does. I think I think it's in I think it sort of shows that like it's like this movie is about how horrible people are. It's like yeah, yeah Pennywise is bad, but the first and foremost people are horrible. Pennywise yeah. wouldn't be able to exist without the people themselves being terrible. Yeah, and and so, like, something that's immediately established as well is that um, Pennywise affects, like, people are, people go missing and people are murdered. And it's not 100% clear that Pennywise is doing it, but at least Pennywise manifests where people start to become horrible to one another. So it's not super clear whether or not, like, every 27 years there's just this big spike in crime rates where, like, people start fucking killing each other or, like, he starts doing these things, it's not gone into in that much detail. No. They're not meant to solve the crime, you know? But, yeah, this is the, the first sign that he's that he's back. So, okay, enough about the storyline, I think, to go through without spoiling anything. Yeah. Because I feel like if you're going to watch this movie, there's no big payoff spoiler thing at the end that you need to worry about because, like... To I be honest, there's an action movie. I think in the elements where it chooses to be an action movie, it's the weakest that it is. And I think like the most that you'll enjoy it is actually like the first two and a half hours. Yeah. Well, I think the spoilers themselves are kind of like how they each... Because in- each individual character gets their own sort of 20-minute chunk where, you know, Beverly gets the At chunk... At about like three quarters of the way through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Beverly gets her 15 minutes dealing with her parents' issue and the hypochondriac guy gets his 15 minutes dealing with that kind of thing. Yeah, and sort and of I- before they all come together and properly confront Pennywise. Yeah, yeah. So I think that like that 
that sequence is probably the bit where I, w- I, w- I wouldn't want to know like how those little storylines kind of wrap right. up. Right. Like, but I think they- we've talked about it enough outside of those things. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, cool. I, I don't know if we can do that, that thing that we're trying to do again when we talk about like the cinematography and the writing. Well, yeah, well, how did you feel about this film? Like, did you? How did you feel in terms of like, I think it had a bunch of different like set pieces that were interesting. It had a lot of different like specific moments that come to mind. Like there were so many different times. Though. So the the effects were fucking incredible, but this movie probably cost like 300, uh, I think, yeah, okay, $220 million, right? Yeah. So, oh no, uh, 80 million, which is go. remarkably cheap. But they looked so good. Like there's this thing with a, like a, a spider head thing that looks really cool. Which is literally a direct homage to The Thing, the thing which we yeah. watched earlier. God, I'm glad I watched that. That's a great fucking movie. Go and watch the thing, yeah, it's <laughs> John a good Carpenter. Movie. Um, but yeah, even a character says like, "You got to be fucking kidding me," which is the line that happens in the thing. Oh, really? Happens. Yeah, it's, oh, I didn't it's such that. a strong, really cool. and the camera framing is the same. So yeah, we, we'll we'll get into a little bit of the spoilers, but I think there's only like a really minor spoiler section, yeah, really, to be honest. As a horror film, I guess when we're talking about like the cinematography or the directing or the editing, we're talking about like. How did this film like feel to watch? Because if it really, if it was aiming to be a horror movie, like, did it make you scared? Did it build tension? Like, how yeah. did it handle the horror aspects of it? I don't think this movie was really aiming to make people like shit their pants. No, it was aiming to be entertaining, and the way that it did that was really good. It was like, I guess, if a Marvel movie tried to be horror but was also coincidentally less shit than most Marvel movies are. <laughs> it did really well, I think. Well, see, I think this is a perfect example of not wanting to be a snob about looking at the scores of movies before you watch them and being like, oh, this only got a 58 on Metacritic or whatever. I'm not watching that. That's a waste of my time. Because as a perfect example of that, we both had loads of fun watching this. This got, uh, yeah, 58 on Metacritic and 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. So I think that like this is like a lot of people like looking at this and being like, oh, it's not really scary or finding some reason to poke a hole in it when I thought it was fun to watch. I had a great old time It was fun it. to watch, but there are also lots of very good holes that you can poke in it. I'm sure. But like yeah. I think at the time when I, I think it's a perfect example like a popcorn kind of movie where I went there and I enjoyed it. And I think it was this perfect... Perfect example of cheeseball dumb movies that I've never gone in on that I know would be a ton of fun to watch more of, like right. Face Off. It's um, I thought of the Fast and the Furious movies about how I'm sure they're great and I've just never gone in on them. Yeah, um, that kind of shit. Where I was like, fuck, there's got to be a world of dumb, dumb ass horror movies out there that would be good fun to watch. Yeah, there were a bunch of scenes in this that didn't, and like part of the reason why I was referencing like, oh, what should we talk about in the spoiler chat was because there was or there were a bunch of re- of scenes towards the end of the movie for me that didn't really come off very well. Well, let's do this now. Then, if you if you care if you care about it, like tune out now, go watch it. I thought this was a lot better than the first one. Okay, so maybe just go to see this one if you're yeah. not. And also, like, like, I kind of didn't like the first one, and just I came along to see the second one because it was like a trip with the boys. Okay, something that came up that was really interesting that I totally agree with is if I were trying to sell someone who doesn't watch horror movies ever on a film that was like a quote horror movie end quote, I would tell them like, well, let's watch this because it's like the least scary that a horror movie can be there's like a few jump scares but you can tell when they're coming and you're just like oh there it is yeah rather than being like fuck and uh it's entertaining the visuals are great the aesthetic is great the acting i think is fantastic i think it's really good they did a really good job and like i think the characters one thing that is a bit frustrating is that the characters are sort of dialed up to 11 like it does kind of feel sometimes like the act like bill Hader is doing 
a caricature and an exaggerated version of Phil Wol- Finn Wolfhard's performance. Right. Um, and like the annoying hypochondriac is hypochondriacy and annoying again. But I don't know how much of that to put on the whole film itself being a bit of a caricature of itself. It didn't get in the way for me. So like, sure. I don't think this film felt long either. I didn't really notice that it was long it until was we sort of walked one out. One of the, I mean, like, f- I've always been not bugged by great movies that are long. No, but like, I didn't have to get up in the middle of it or anything. <laughs> yeah, I got up twice. <laughs> um, summing up before we delve into like full spoiler territory, this is worth your time. Yeah, go in on it, yeah. especially if you if you're interested but have not seen the first one. Don't bother watching the first one. Just go and see this one. This, this while gives you enough cinemas. flashbacks to know. It's honestly like it, it's it's like you're seeing 1.5 movies because <laughs> yeah. the first one yeah He's is half included so much yeah, exactly. Right. Um, but if you have seen the first one, you liked it. Go see this one. If you saw the first one and you hated it, well, it's probably a lot more of the same. So I wouldn't. I didn't like the first one, and I liked this one. Oh, okay, so maybe it's worth watch it anyway. this one no matter what. Proudly sponsored by Samsung right. and it chapter two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So apparently it's worth your time, regardless. Like. It, this was an enjoyable experience. Yeah. It's a thumbs up. Yeah, okay. I think so. Right. It was clear to me that this film was still of a scale that it was so largely tested um, that like... Okay, so it, w- it was produced by the same studios that produced, uh, I think, the Lord of the Rings films and uh, a bunch of other different, like, similarly sort of scaled... Like, yeah, sure, whatever, like yeah. That. And what happens for me when a studio takes on a film like this is they say like, right, well, we have to have like the epic battle climax or whatever. And so like the last scene in the book or at least the final like form that we witness is meant to be like this giant spider, right? Because I think Bill Hader's character hates spiders enough yeah. that it's sort of like, he's like, oh, I'm a giant spider now. But in the TV series, the end bit, it ends up as a giant spider. And in this one... It's kind of the same thing. It ends kind up of- as a giant spider that's still Pennywise the Clown... Because it just feels a lot like they were like, well, the clown image is really strong, so let's keep that. But also, a giant spider fight scene, pretty cool, right? Yeah, so, well, like, I didn't I really the, even get that he was supposed to be a spider. So you're right, they kind of lost me, lost me that, on that. Well, and yeah, and it's literally meant to be a giant spider. The thing at the end obviously has eight legs, but it's divorced enough from it because you're like, well, he's just a monstrous giant clown. It looks now. more like, like a clown centaur thing. Right. So, it, for me, the end of the film, as soon as they, like, they get back to the house and they, like, go into the basement of it and then they go, like, deeper and deeper and deeper Fuck, and deeper it's, and like, and deeper. exactly the same as the first one. <laughs> okay, right. I would have preferred if all of the confrontation happened in the scale of a house, right? Instead of going into this, like, cavernous fucking system where things were giant and it was, like, this big fear with, like, huge orbs of light that, like, came down to the floor... I think, and I think in the in the first one, they just beat the shit out of it with a baseball bat in like a basement, right? No, Is they go down to the fucking cabin with the lights. Oh, and well, it's fuck literally me. Like, that's, okay, that, <laughs> that sucks a lot. And I'm glad I haven't seen the first one yeah. because that was bad enough the first time. And I think that if you really wanted to do a film about this, it would be on like a human level, not like a galactic level where they've like blown it out into like this huge catacomb system and there's yeah. this giant thing running around and it's like I can smell you and it's 40 meters tall 
Um, that was the weakest part of the whole. I checked out by that point. Well, I think that's the thing. I think that's where it's inter- It's more interesting when the horror elements that Pennywise presents aren't just a giant monstrous spider. It's like it became unrealistic. Making at that people point. terrified of their own shame, yeah. or like terrified of their. It's like the intangible stuff. So like, I think that I think they were trying to get at the fact that Bill Hader's character is gay. Um, yes, and that that I listened was, to some of this, and yeah. apparently, like, yeah, you're supposed that, to you're supposed to pick up on that, but it really, I don't think it was very clear. It, yeah, and in the uh, yeah, apparently, it's even more steered away from in the previous screen adaptation, where his character is yeah. like, "I'm all alone." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, oh, is it clear in the book? And these people are just afraid of showing. I don't know. Screen? I'm not sure. What, anyway. Whatever it is, my point is that's like him afraid of and being ashamed of that, and that's like his element of horror. Pennywise like screams at Bill Hader while Bill Hader's running away like no one's I'm going to tell everyone your, your deep dark secret or whatever and my, my point is it's like a personal human fear rather than like I'm scared of the giant fucking spider centaur thing so I, I agree right. that I thought the giant fight scene at the end was kind of lame and I didn't really like it well and there's so much stuff in this movie that this like it's hard to say what I would have done differently because it's like well god you fucking cram so much shit into it like yeah. the there's also the subplot of the uh, the bullet the old the bully, bully that's come back with a mentally, knife and mentally institution like yeah I thought he was going to be the final showdown. Like, he was going to be the final threat. But, like, yeah. no, the cavern shit still happened. Like, and he's randomly in it for no reason. It definitely feels like... Oh, my God. It, like it all, There's so much stuff in there where it almost feels like everyone going to see this movie has an encyclopedic knowledge of the movies and the books and everything. Because someone was telling... Gina was telling me that um, there's all these other apparitions that happen in the first movie kind of timeline where I think Mike for example is scared of mummies like the Egyptian right. bandages thing right. and so he has like a mummy appear to walk to him and that's not shown anywhere in the old film or this film but I swear to God in this new film Mike mentions that he saw a mummy so there's all this other shit that's in the book and I feel like admirable that they tried to get so much of the source material in here but I feel like the book considering it's a thousand pages long is must be even more of like a fun house of horror getting everything in there having all these different things Stephen King's like a master of detail he spent so much of that time like delving into like the specific journeys like emotional journeys of these people but it's like you don't have time which you just can't do in a movie exactly so like the whole bully thing could have been cut I thought it really didn't need to be in the film at all no and it's not that it was bad on screen. It's just that it didn't need to be in the film at all. Yeah. So exactly, it, it, the whole fucking movie would have like they didn't do anything other than who's the uh, the risk analyst that's like scared of everything, right? Yeah. One of the reasons th- that he's like still scared of everything is because he gets stabbed in the cheek by this bully. But yeah. if that just didn't happen, he would still just be scared of everything, and he's still just a risk it doesn't analyst. Make any sense? It yeah. doesn't have to happen. Yeah. Um, we haven't really talk, talked very much about the performance of Pennywise himself. I thought it was really good. Um, a lot yeah, of people so this have was, uh, Bill, Bill Skarsgård, who is the son of Alexander Skarsgård. No, the son of Stellan Skarsgård, the brother of Alexander The brother Skarsgård. of Alexander yeah. Skarsgård. Now, I walked past Alexander Skarsgård once in Stockholm. And you, he said, Andrew, Andrew, and you walked straight past him. God, I wish. <laughs> um, no, I was like, fuck, that guy's really good looking. And he's really tall. And then I was like, Holy fuck, that's Alexander Skarsgård. <laughs> and he was 10 meters behind me. And it would have been weird to run up and just be like, Jesus Christ, but yeah. Fuck, you're tall. I've walked past Alexander Skarsgård. That is cool. It's cool as hell. He's so tall 
and so good looking. <laughs> he, he, where I was like, that person, subconsciously, I think I was like, that person's a different species. <laughs> yeah. like, where I was like, that Ubermensch on yeah. Untermensch. Well, <laughs> you know, like, well, uh, Bill Skarsgård is real God fucked damn. looking. Yeah, he's fucked up. He's yeah. got the eyes that don't line up properly, yeah, I, which they make worse in the film, but he naturally has anyway. He can do. He can make his eyes move separately for okay, real. Okay, well, I don't know if he's doing that for every press photo ever or if that's <laughs> just the way that he well, looks. He, he's got a slightly lazy eye, but he can make yeah. one of them drift off to the side okay. deliberately. Like, apparently there's an effect in the film so he goes where he does that. So he more fucked. Yeah, and Bill Hader was like, how do they do that effect? And Bill Skarsgård was like, you mean this? And just did it. Jeez. Uh. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, Bill Hader's Bill greatest fear is lazy eyes. In the face. <laughs> yeah. I thought Bill Skarsgård has a great fucking performance. Really good. I think a lot of people were criticizing Especially when it. you see him not as Pennywise, by the way. Like, you see him revealed as, as like his the, normal the human fun, form. Funfair dude or whatever, yeah. Which they don't really tie up because, like, this was an alien that came to Earth, right? I don't know. I don't know. Exactly. Okay, that's that's right. one of the that so was probably like, explained for three hundred pages in the book. God damn. Um, I went back and watched some clips of the Tim Curry performance of Pennywise. Yeah. Super dated. Not good. Not scary at oh, all. Oh really? It's really weird and comic and hammy. Okay. And um uh, like YouTube comments were like, Oh, chills, man. Bill Bill Skarsgård is like jump scares and this gives you genuine nightmares. I don't think so. I think the the Tim Curry performance is like wacky and almost funny. Right. Whereas I think that the Bill Skarsgård performance is so completely different and is so like creepy and the, unsettling. The, the, the Bill Skarsgård one where he's uh, under over, the the other, over the other bank of the river but also under the bleachers was his best moment in the whole film I think other than when he was just as himself and not as Pennywise. Yeah. But those three moments were probably the scariest in the whole film. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it he really just is such a good physical actor. So good. He does this weird lip face thing, which is apparently oh. like just this natural fucked face that he God. can pull as well. Like <laughs> That man lives a cursed existence and yeah. anyone that's ever loved him lives an even more cursed existence. <laughs> holy shit. Take that, Alexander. Yeah. Um, anyway, he, he's, he's good. The performance of all of the characters, I think, was good. I didn't yeah. really get snapped out of it by any nah, me neither. character performances. So I think the writing was fine. Actually, the writing was pretty good yeah. compared to what I would have expected. It wasn't like Marvel movie shit writing. It was just like, was yeah, good. this is fine writing. It wasn't yeah, like, I had fun with it. It wasn't poetic or the best writing I've ever heard, but it definitely at no point like broke me out of it. I think a lot of horror movies aren't... I'm not a very ho- big horror movie guy, so I feel like Hereditary is like an arty movie that's scary that you should be like, oh, this is a good movie. But mm. it seems to me like a lot of horror movies it's are well supposed to be like fun movies to watch that you might not necessarily have a lot of critical acclaim for or whatever, but they're a lot of fun. I don't know what people... People who criticize these types of horror movies, I don't know what you're looking for. Like, are you yeah, looking for I think, it to I think be it's the scariest going philosophical for, idea? Like... Imagine if you were nothing in a void <laughs> or whatever. Like, I don't know what they're... Because some of these movies scare the fuck out of me. Yeah. It's like, what's scarier than something being well visually represented? Well, that's the thing. I don't get it. I suppose all I was trying to say was like, I think these movies are good and they're fun and they're entertaining. Right. And I, I think that a lot of those kind of popcorny movies, you sort of watch them and you forget them. But I think that like a lot of the way that the horror movies are produced where they're just pure entertainment. I think that's kind of what the, what they've got going for them. Yeah. Though. This has a very strong aesthetic. And I thought yeah, it was absolutely. really well shot. I looked it up. It was shot on like an Ari good sure. camera. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was like, 
it's 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 well put together. It's got a really filmic quality to it. It's it's very vintage, so it's got a lot of like the color palette is really like nostalgic blue and like Instagram filtery. Yeah, and like it's really like washed out eighties kind of like vibes to it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought they they did that pretty well. What what was the scariest part of the film you thought for you then? Your favorite or your favorite scene? We might have already sort of gone over that a little bit. Or if you could have a horror movie, how's this? I think this movie really is like every horror trope put together so that everyone would find a bit in this film that they found a bit scary somehow. So if you had like one scene in this movie and you had a whole horror movie that was made in that style, that would be like your ultimate scariest ever horror movie. Like what scene would you pick to extend that to a feature length film? All right. I would either pick, I have two answers and they've already been made. So one, the... uh, uh, Pennywise on the riverbank opposite where... In the intro, yeah. Right. And that is The Host, um, which oh, is a Korean horror already. film. Right, yeah, okay. Uh, so that's that's like a monster movie where um, the horror is that these things don't give a fuck about like daylight or whatever. They just will, will kill you and they come out and kill people in Korea in broad daylight. And, yeah. Uh, it's a very good movie. The second one is uh, the apartment scene, which Jessica Chastain's character has to go through. Yeah. And the old lady's creeping around in the background and she like peers around the corner and then she sort of like walks past and then yeah. I uh, suppose that's a bit like hereditary, isn't it? No, it's like wreck dot dot wreck, which is a Spanish horror movie which also features uh it's a, so it's a found footage film yeah. which features the main horror thing is an elderly woman with fucked proportions wandering that's also naked. Well, I, I think... And it's like this woman's grown up in a cursed, uh, haunted house that's like made her grow all fucked. That's interesting, and that's exactly what the information I wanted that is, is other horror movies. I don't think it's necessarily watch, watch the... Rack. I don't think it's the grotesque horror lady that I found scary about that. It was just a general sense of unease. Yeah. And like... So Rex found footage, so it's a bit annoying yeah, right. that way. Well, like I the, think found footage films are annoying. Yeah, they suck. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cloverfield sucks. Haven't watched it. <laughs> it's like people couldn't afford a stabilizer and we're like, no, nah, it's a feature, not a bug. What are you talking about? No, it's supposed to be like that. Uh, yeah, the logic behind found footage, it's like, I get that people tried it, but then after, after the first found footage film is made, maybe like, what's that one about the superhero... Chronicle, but Chronicle, no, yeah. After Chronicle was made, which there was, was like one that did it that invent. I think Cloverfield or maybe Paranormal Activity or something fucking invented. Cloverfield's it, like uh, Paranormal Activity is like the surveillance type stuff, right? One, there's there's some horror movie that people are, are going to be screaming yeah. at us that basically invented it, and okay, I, I agree. Cloverfield was the that, first like general release. It was like it's a yeah. found footage movie, and everything after that should have been like, oh, that didn't really work, did it? <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just do something else, right? It's a cool, cool concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good idea. Mm. Well, yeah, for, for me, I just found that overall sense of unease, and I suppose maybe that's what I found so scary in Hereditary. So if you've got any other suggestions out there, maybe we'll pop a thread on the Facebook page um, with um, suggestions for horror movies. Yeah. I would watch The Host and yeah. uh, the other one. Yeah, okay. Talk about. I sincerely think that, like, people behaving in a slightly strange way, like that scene in Hereditary where she's staring at the kid with the gasoline, and there's this crazy sort of frozen look in her eye. Really terrifies me. Have you me. watched I mean, that again? Because they are like yelling at each other. Yeah. And it's so weird where he's like, you were going to kill me. No, and she's it's like, insane. I didn't want to kill you. And she's like on fire all of a sudden. Yeah, no, it's oh, terrible. It's, it's, no, it really scares me. And so like the same thing. In, <laughs> so It, the closest uh, scene to that in It is where the old lady just sort of frozen and is staring at her for a second. Oh, God. Then, you mean before any of the shit yeah. happens? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then yeah. like snaps and is like, can I get you a biscuit, she's dear? And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. 
Um, it lingers way too much on like yeah. one one moment, and this woman is just like frozen in place. And Jessica Chastain's character is like, "What the fuck?" And then you see her sort of like move again. But yeah, it's clear that like terrifying, some shit, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So I would be keen to have more horror. Maybe like, movie what's that shitty? That. I remember it's okay. It reminded me a little bit of like the scene from The Devil Inside, which is uh, a, a also a found footage supernatural horror movie, where a woman in a mental asylum comes in and uh, checks in on, I believe, her own mother. Yeah, and it's like this elderly woman that's exhibiting this like fucking bizarre behavior and like acting really creepy, and it's basically all done through the performance, which is really good. That is, cool. and I, I feel like The Devil Inside also relies on a strong like creepy elderly woman performance to be scary. I feel like we watched that and like the exorcism of Emily Rose. You remember how like we yeah, were like, we, we were like 14 years we're old. Like, yeah, we're, like, we're, watch yeah, we're fucking, movie. we're fucking hard. <laughs> and we rented like, I didn't think exorcism. Maybe I watched it after that, but we watched the exorcism of Emily Rose. Not a good movie. I don't remember that being very scary. At it all was either. not very scary. And also maybe it's not scary if you watch it like in a living room, shooting on it with your bro, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, not very scary and also not very good. And I remember the devil inside, which yeah, again, came out in 2012, just not being that good Brilliant. but parts of the old woman scene reminded yeah. me of the creepier parts of that film yes so yeah like loads of the couple super creepy scenes it's, it's weird that we've co- made so many found footage comparisons in this movie you've made none of it's <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah but none of it's found footage yeah uh, but i think it carries with it that really like maybe intimate and like close tone I suppose so. I don't really like found footage stuff very much. Neither do I, but the two films that I've found to compare with like Jessica Chastain's scene, which was one of the creepiest in the whole movie, have been like that found footage style. I suppose so, yeah. But there's... It's also been linked by old women. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel is awesome. (laughs) I feel like you're focusing on... You want horror movies with old women? Here's six horror movies with old women. It's not the old woman that's scary. I'm still going to reference Best Exotic (laughs) Marigold Hotel as a horror movie with old women in it. Um... But yeah, like so, I I personally found the the chilling, creepy kind of scenes to be the scariest. I don't know if we have a natural way to end it, but I think it's probably all we've got on it. We, what do you reckon? We already did a better than worse than sort um, of. Yeah, well, I don't I don't watch enough horror movies to know to to be able to g- give a rating. I think I enjoyed this a lot more than the. F- I didn't really like the first one at all, and I enjoyed this a lot more than that. Okay. And I don't really watch many of these sort of fun, cheesy. Popcorny kind of movies to. I think really the general know. consensus is that this is worse than the first one. Or so disagree. if you have not seen the first one, then this one will be good. Um, no, I think I, this is better than the first one. And the first I, one sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but the, again, the general consensus. I think you're going against the the general sentiment. But <laughs> I think it. I think I understand your perspective more than theirs. I agree. I think it was fun to watch. It was a tree. It's 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 a fun house of horror shit yeah and you're not gonna get super scared you're not gonna have nightmares this is not like one of those films that it's one of those films that stays with you because it's like interestingly aesthetically shot yeah uh, but it's not a film that stays with you because you're like fuck i will yeah, never forget that, by that shot or whatever, super yeah. fucked up scene yeah um yeah so well, i think it's i think it's good i think it's almost anyone could watch this and enjoy it I think so. I think it's yeah. got enough funny bits, enough dramatic bits, enough chilly bits, enough gory bits in it to have something for everyone. Yeah, and it's just on the verge of like this is too studio done, like <laughs> studio produced yeah. to be entertaining, like Marvel films are. But it's not, not there yet. So I enjoyed it. 
Great. Okay, yeah. cool. I think that is about all the time we have left from this week's episode of Beef Station. Um, if you want to get in contact with the show, we got an email address. I'll pop that in the description. It's beefstationpod at gmail.com. We've got a brand new Facebook page that you can join and join in with a lovely discussion. We've got a Facebook a group, motherfucker. Not there, a page. Whatever, a group. You, you know, idiot. I'll put all the links you in the um, I'll put all the links in the description of the pod so you can click through there and join the group and join, join the discussion. The it's great. Uh, thank you for joining us for another week. I'm Oscar. I am Andrew. See you later. This is an action shot of Jonah Hill mid dropping his coffee. Spicy people. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I didn't think so. <laughs> 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 <laughs>